Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Playoff Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with JJ Cooper, here to break down Game 3 of the ALCS and look ahead to Game 3 of the NLCS. Both series are back in action today. But last night, JJ, the Red Sox just took the Astros to the woodshed. They won 12-3. to They were up 9 nothing by the third inning. The Red Sox hit their third Grand Slam in two days. They're the first team to have three Grand Slams in a single postseason series and they've done it in the first three games. JJ, we talked yesterday about the Astros and how things are definitely not looking great for them pitching-wise. The Red Sox, this offense has just been absolutely relentless. You look at the numbers, it's kind of insane. They have 20 home runs in eight games this postseason. As a team, they're hitting 317, 374, 567. I mean... At this point, I feel like you just kind of have to tip your cap to the Red Sox and say, great job, guys, because it, it, it's starting to feel like there's not really anything the Astros can do to slow this Red Sox offense down. Yeah, and watching that game yesterday struck me in the first few innings. Understandably, this is a point where I look at the Astros and say, this is a team that just doesn't have a lot of good options at this point. Jose Urquidy was not sharp. Understandably, wasn't sharp. He hadn't pitched a whole lot in quite a while. He, he has to step into a larger role because Lance McCullers is hurt. And you watch those first couple innings, what really did stand out is he just, he was that much off. He couldn't locate with just the fineness he needed. So he ended up behind in a lot of counts, a lot of good, that this will tie into what you said a lot of good at bats by Red Sox hitters and I don't know about you but when Kyle Schwarber stepped to the plate in that situation and I guess if I remember correctly that's right after Altuve botched the ball at second I felt like okay there's probably I had a third grand slam tweet ready to go just waiting it was like okay it's going to be Schwarber or maybe it'll be Kike Hernandez who hits it but just have one ready here because the likelihood of a grand slam here is pretty high. And there you go. Schwarber does it. And at that point, the game was effectively over because at that point, the Astros didn't, they were in a situation where they didn't even have anyone up yet. The bases were loaded in the second inning. Their pitcher didn't have it, but because of the nature of this series and knowing what they have ahead of them, they were really looking at this and thinking we have to figure out a way to get length out of Arkady. And they weren't able to get length out of Arkady, which puts them in even a worse situation for today where they know that they're not going to get length out of Zach Greinke. And I, I just feel like for such a team that is so good as the Astros have been all year, this feels 
dire. This feels like it is possible for them to win this series, but the way that the Red Sox are swinging their bets, swinging the bats, the way the Red Sox were able to get length out of Eduardo Rodriguez, which means now they're not just going Pavetta in this game, but they have the A team of their bullpen reared, primed, and ready to go. This this Red Sox lineup does look like one that's going to bash their way to the World Series. Yeah, I mean, they are locked in right now. They've jumped out to 9 nothing leads by the middle of the fourth inning in two consecutive games. Now, I want to go back to Urquidy for a minute. First and foremost, he had a solid year this year, but he hadn't pitched since October 3rd. So he was coming in off of not pitching for more than two weeks. It's just very, very difficult to be sharp in a situation like that. And I actually want to give some credit here. Alex Verdugo's at bat is really what got that inning started. So Arquiti actually retired the first four batters of the game. No problem, really. Got through the bottom of the first, clean inning, one, two, three. Opened the second, struck out Xander Bogarts on three pitches, got him looking at slider. I mean, he looked fine. That Alex Verdugo at bat, Arquiti went ahead 0-2, and Verdugo just battled. Fouled pitches away took balls when he got him. Verdugo came back from an 0-2 count to draw an 11-pitch walk. And after that, that is when Urquidy started to fall apart. Fell behind the next six hitters. Martinez double, Renfro walk, Vasquez single, Arroyo on the uh, error by Altuve, Schwarber grand slam. Urquidy was actually pitching well. and That Verdugo at bat just completely changed the complexion of the inning. I mean, that was the moment after which Urquidy was not the same. Uh, just a great at-bat by Alex Verdugo to get everything started. And yeah, I mean, the Astros are starting Zach Greinke today in game four. We've talked about it. Zach Greinke is not Zach Greinke right now. He has not pitched much. He has not pitched well. And they're going to try and piece this thing together. But this is more about the Red Sox offense to me than any failings, the Astros pitchers, they're just in a tough, tough, tough spot, losing McCullers, losing Garcia, but none of their starters have made it through three innings. Uh, This Red Sox offense has just been exceptional. And uh, I mean, 20 home runs in eight games. I mean, good Lord, this offense is just steamrolling anyone and everyone right now. It is. And it is the perfect melding here because you have an offense that is utterly rolling, that works deep at bats, you know, runs up pitch counts against a team that right now is without its best pitchers, starting pitchers, and is in a situation where what they want more than anything is to not rack up high pitch counts. They need length. They need guys to go deep, and they don't have the guys to go deep, which means that you feed it to the bullpen, which means we're going three, four, five here. By game five, it is pretty comfortable to say that these Red Sox hitters are going to have seen a lot of these Red Sox relievers multiple times in a very short period of time. You mean Astros relievers? Astros relievers, sorry. Astros relievers in a short period of time, which is going to make it easier to hit them again in game five because you have kind of that familiarity that you is one of the advantages relievers often have. I'm only going to face a guy one time. Once or twice in a series, I'm out. I move on to my next series. They're not going to have that because they're having to go so much to their pen so often, so early in these games. One of the things with the Red Sox, we talked about it on our podcast as we got set to open the postseason. 
this is a legit offense. They finished third of the majors in OPS this year. They finished fifth in scoring. I mean, this is a top five offense in the major leagues. There's never any doubt about it. But still, it's remarkable to see them doing what they're doing. And Zach Greinke goes today. Again, as we talked about it, he really, really, really struggled his final four outings the regular season. He has not pitched deep really since September 19th. That's the last time. And even that was only four innings. But that was the last time he threw more than 30 pitches. It's been a month. So certainly a significant challenge ahead for the Astros today. JJ, like we talked about, it's two games to one. You never want to declare a team dead in the water. But the way the Astros pitching lines up right now, I mean, you use the word dire, and I think that's it. It's not a great situation. And again, I think it's important to give the Red Sox credit for putting them in that situation and taking advantage of the reality that the Astros pitching staff right now is just not in great shape. Okay. If I'm mapping out, let let me try to map out a scenario where the Astros do turn this around. You're not going to get more than, if you get three innings, good innings out of Granke, that's a good outing today. I think that's a really good one. Okay. And then let's say that Christian Javier follows that up and gives you some depth after that. So that means if that happens, then you can kind of reset your bullpen to some extent because you will then only need three innings tonight rather than if you could get three and three, which is stretching both those guys to about their limit right now. But if you got three and three from those two, Christian Javier has been used to the tandem system. He came up through the Astros system. This is not unusual in the minor leagues for being, hey, so-and-so starting, you're going to pitch bulk in this game. That is part of the Astros development system. Javier has been through that. So if you get that, you get some – their offense is still a great offense. You get some runs against Pavetta. All of a sudden, it is – it's not impossible to say that they could win today. And then it's – at that point, it's a 2-2 series. The good news they have if you're in the Astros is game five – is you're going back to having a chance to throw an actual starter who's healthy, who's stretched out, who's not battling a knee injury. It's not impossible to see the Astros win these next two games. That is not, this, this offense is a great offense. We watched them just destroy a good White Sox pitching staff not that long ago. So that's not impossible, but the, the real trouble then becomes again even if you did that, even if somehow Houston left Boston up 3-2, you look at game six, you look at game seven, and I don't really know exactly what the you're, – you're hoping Luis Garcia is healthy and can pitch. If that's not the case, you're right back into the situation again. You're, you are obviously hoping that – Urquidy's better if you have to go to a game seven. You know, you're using Urquidy in game seven, I guess, and hoping he's better. But them matched up against Eovaldi or them matched up against the rest, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez, again, it's going to be advantage Red Sox. That's where I say dire. Not that this series is over by any stretch of the imagination, but you just look at it and you say probably in three of the next four games, if it goes that far, the Red Sox are going to have a clear pitching advantage. And I didn't think that was going to be the case coming into the postseason. Yeah, one thing that's going to be interesting is today Nick Pavetta is set to start for the Red Sox. It's his first start since September 30th. He's pitched in long relief. Uh, But again, these outings have been 
four innings, four and two thirds innings. He hasn't pitched more than five innings since September 23rd. So he's gone in and pitched well with clean innings to start, but long relief is still a little different than starting a game. So I'll just be curious to see what he can do. If we see the Nick Pavetta, we saw that had a crate out against the Rays. We've seen when Nick Pavetta is good, he's really good. And when he's not, it can get ugly kind of quickly. So that's going to be something I'm going to be watching for today. One thing I think we do need to highlight and just again, give credit Eduardo Rodriguez missed last year, came down with COVID scary heart condition. As a result, he came back this year and was not great, but he wasn't terrible. I mean, he did okay. He took the ball, made 31 starts, was durable. Then for him to have that outing last night, it's just great to see. He's a good pitcher who's been through a lot. And for him to have that moment at home in the ALCS, just great work by him first and foremost. And it's very easy to be happy for him after everything he's gone through. Yeah, and I do think you are seeing him uh, – I give credit to him and give credit to the, to, to the team. This is a development, a, a major league development story and success story uh, of seeing a, someone get better uh, again or reclaim kind of what they've had at sometimes. But, but that's a, there's a lot of those stories in this postseason. And I, I, to, to flip it, uh, to kind of bring it back to that Red Sox lineup, look at what they've done here. Kyle Schwarber... Kyle Schwarber was non-tendered not that long ago. Kyle Schwarber has paid himself a lot of money, but he is a massive threat in this lineup now. Kike Hernandez, other than Kike Hernandez, I do not know if there was anyone. I would love to hear from a scout who has the receipts that they saw Kike Hernandez coming up through the minors and said, oh, future power hitter. This is a guy in the postseason who's going to make pitchers pitch around him because you can't let you, you can let others beat you but you can't let Kike Hernandez get swings to beat you I it's amazing to see him develop into what he's developed into is just utterly remarkable to me compared to he's an he, he was a former Astro an Astro's success story in many ways him and JD Martinez both in the uh both in the Red Sox lineup, but to see where he is now compared to what he was thought to be coming up through the minors, a nice utility man. It's remarkable. Yeah. So the Kyle Schwarber acquisition was certainly a really, really good one for the Red Sox. Again, it was a great fit, bringing it to the American league, give him some days to DH. He was very, very good in Washington, obviously got crazy hot there. Uh, the Red Sox acquired him and he very quietly was even better there than he was in Washington. And it's funny you mentioned Kike Hernandez. So he was in Lancaster uh, when I was covering the High Desert Mavericks, my very first job back at the uh, start of last decade. And those Lancaster teams that were affiliated with the Astros were absolutely loaded. You know, people talk about what's the best farm system I've ever seen. It was the group that came through Lancaster over those years. You know, Jose Altuve, George Springer, Carlos Correa, uh, all the arms, Vince Velasquez, Mike Fultonevich, uh, so many guys. Domingo Santana was on some of these teams. Uh, just so, so, so stacked. Lance McCullers was another pitcher. And I remember Kike Hernandez. He was like the number eight hitter in a high A lineup. And you say, oh, you know, you look at the numbers there, 275, 318, 14. In Lancaster, that's not good. In Lancaster, that's well below average. This was not someone, and I remember even talking to some Astros officials both at the time and now with the benefit of hindsight, like, yeah, we didn't see this guy becoming a major leaguer. The guy who hits the bottom of the lineup on your high A team 
and is below average offensively is not a guy who becomes a major leaguer. And just give him credit for everything he's done. Even he's kind of reinvented himself a little bit and he's consistently got better, consistently worked. And now he's a true everyday player who is turning into a modern day Carlos Beltran. I mean, he's been absolutely unbelievable this postseason. And the Red Sox had some really, really, really good hitters already with Bogarts and Devers and, and all the talent already in place. Make some free agent additions that were smart. You make some trades that were smart. And you have a top five offense in baseball that's on a historic run in the postseason. Credit to everyone around. Again, it's only two games to one. You don't want to overreact and say, oh gosh, the series is over. But there's no question, the way this Red Sox offense is locked in right now, it's hard to see anyone stopping them. Kike Hernandez has 13 homers in the postseason. That's, I know he's had a lot of games. I know that he's played on playoff teams in multiple cities now. But 13 postseason homers, that's – if you're wondering, I always think of David Ortiz as the guy who kind of – if you're talking about David Ortiz as a Hall of Fame candidate, you have to talk about his postseason performance and how that's a really key factor in it because effectively playing on those Red Sox teams, he has another half a season – David Ortiz has 17 postseason homers. David Ortiz, for his career, was 289, 404, 543, 85 games, 17 homers. Okay, let's compare that to Kike Hernandez. 66 games, 278, 365, 570, with 13 homers. He's essentially producing at a similar level to David Ortiz, who I do think of as one of the great postseason hitters of the 21st century. And he's not done this in a series now. He's done this in multiple series. It's, it's remarkable. For me, my ultimate Kike Hernandez postseason moment was when he hit three home runs in the clinching game five of the 2017 NLCS to send the Dodgers over the Cubs and into the World Series. That was like, Kike Hernandez just hit three home runs. And by the way, those were the first three home runs of his postseason career. So clearly setting himself up for what was still to come. But yeah, right now, there's a lot of Red Sox hitters with insane postseason stat lines right now, but Hernandez is number one among them. He's hitting 500. I mean, we're eight games in. He's 18 for 36 with four doubles and five homers. I mean, you shake your head at this Red Sox offense in particular. You shake your head at Kike Hernandez, all of it. This has been a remarkable offensive performance. And I will see if they can, I would say, keep it up. I mean, it's hard to envision a team keeping up nearly three home runs a game and averaging seven runs a game. But there's nothing right now that says this Red Sox team looks like they're slowing down. They're locked in. And I'm not going to sit here and say they can't keep it going for a few more games, especially with the Astros pitching in the shape that it's in. All right, JJ, I want to talk about the NLCS and everything we're going to be looking for today in game three between the Dodgers and Braves. But first, going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. JJ, moving over to the NLCS, the Dodgers and Braves return to Los Angeles today. Uh, an afternoon game out here on the West Coast, 2.08 p.m. Pacific start. The Braves are up 2-0. The Dodgers are throwing Walker Bueller. Braves are countering with Charlie Morton. What are you going to be looking for in today's game? Well, obviously, the, the, the Dodgers need a W more than the Braves do. Like, the Braves are in a situation here where 2-1 is very different from 3-0. I do expect the Dodgers to win this game, though. I, Charlie Morton's really good. I do expect the Dodgers to win this game. I expect that this will be the game where the – where we kind of set the stage for uh, – we'll be talking about the NLCS, I think, for longer than we'll be talking about this year's ALCS, just as I look at these two. I, I do think that uh, they're going to need to get some length. We keep talking about length is not something that you talk about with postseason starters. Length has changed. When you used to talk about length, we'd be talking about, oh, well, are they going to get eight out of Walker Bueller? By length, I mean, are they going to get five to six? But they need to get six. five to five, six. Five still doesn't count as length. Six is where you start talking about length. The number of starters this postseason who have given their team six is a very, very small number. I Other agree. Logan, and that's, like, that's what Logan makes it length. Logan Webb category. Logan Webb taking, you know, like, okay, let's take Logan Webb. Let's set him aside. Everyone else, six is like, wow, that is like throwing a CG. Um well, that's but what makes it length. To, I mean, getting yeah. getting six is where length, I think, is where you start getting, okay, that qualifies as length. But they need to get that out of him because, obviously, they know that they're, they're going to probably be relying on the pen pretty heavily uh, come game four. And so getting that start out of Bueller, and it's a situation, the Braves expect they'll get a good start out of Morton, but they also, to some extent, Game four is going to be hello bullpens, it looks like. Uh, you know, on the Braves side, the Braves are not that, – that will be the one game. That's going to be the last I saw, unless you have something different, Kyle. That's the whole Oscar and Noah or someone else game, is it not? I believe so because, yeah, Max Fried uh, would, would still be on short rest if they went and turned to him. So I believe – And they I, don't need to do that. Yeah, right they now. don't need to do it. They shouldn't do it. So, yeah, I mean, that would be the expectation. Yeah, I mean, these are two of the 
better big game pitchers that we've seen in the postseason over the last couple of years. It should be a great, great matchup. If you're the Dodgers, I mean, again, I'm going to stay away from cliches of, oh, you know, it's a must-win game. But look, only one team in Major League history has ever come back from down 3-0. And this is one where you have a frontline caliber starter who is fully rested plus some. Yeah, I mean, this is the game we look at and say, we need to have this one. I talked yesterday about how not starting Walker Buehler on Sunday, the only way that made sense was if he had gone to Dave Roberts and said, hey, I can't go for whatever reason. And it came out yesterday that he was a little sick. And ultimately, because of that, this probably did make the most sense where, okay, now that we have that piece of information, now you understand their game two strategy a little bit better, at least who they started, still not what they did in relief. He says he's back to 100%. He's good to go. And as long as he's able to give them what they need and pitch relatively deep into the game, it will set the Dodgers up for success. And let me do it from another perspective. Braves fans have had their hearts broken many, many, many times over the years. The importance for the Braves fan, I'm not even talking about the Braves. I'm talking about the fans who are watching this. There's a great Okay, I'm from Georgia originally, so I th- these are this is a fan these are fan bases. I I went to University of Georgia. These are fan bases that I have much experience with. There's a great video by the people who do SEC shorts, and they're doing about Georgia and hope, and how Georgia fans are afraid of hope. They don't want to have hope because all hope does is basically take their heart and squash it at the end of the day. And Braves fans are the same way. I mean, you could, root, you could loop the Falcons in there where it's like, oh, yeah, us being up by four scores, you know, three or four scores in the Super Bowl, not enough. We're still going to lose the game. And they did. All of that ties in here. If you look at this from the Braves' perspective, they go up 3-0, as you just said. It is very hard for a team to lose a 3-0 lead. Braves fans will still absolutely – positively be able to map out the scenario where it could happen, but it is something where you are then in a commanding lead. But let's flip it. Walker Bueller and the Dodgers win game three, and it's 2-1. We just said tomorrow's game is not something where the Braves have this massive pitching advantage in that game. So all of a sudden, it's not outlandish to say, if the Dodgers win this game, that all of a sudden we could be going into game five in a 2-2 series. And at that point, you would say that the Dodgers have the advantage because they are the better team overall than the Braves. And they would then, yes, it would be going back to Atlanta, but it would be a situation where at that point, the Dodgers would have, I think their pitching would be equivalent for game six and seven to the Braves. And I think that they're just simply, over the course of the entirety of this, they are a better team than the Braves. This game right here is the one that will kind of ensure potential sanity for the next couple of weeks for the Braves fans versus, oh, no, I see the avalanche coming down the hill. I'm going to be buried under it before long. I just have to accept that this is my fate as a fan of the teams that I am fans of. And so I think that this game is the one that for Braves fans, much more so than the team, the Braves fans carry that legacy much more 
than an Adam Duvall. Maybe Freddie Freeman understands it, but than a Duvall or an Eddie Rosario or all of these players, for the fans, they're thinking, okay, is this our Wohlers versus Layritz moment? Is this us having a game where we're win or lose against the Cardinals? And by the way, we're going to be down by double digits before we ever step to the, you know, that they're going to wonder about that if they don't win this game. It's funny until I joined baseball America, you know, I was working and living out here in Southern California. So I didn't have a ton of interaction with uh, Braves fans in Atlanta. And I didn't realize how fatalistic Braves fans were until I came to BA. And that was before the Falcons blew the largest lead in Super Bowl history. That was before Georgia blew a lead against Alabama in the college football national championship game. It's only gotten worse. So there's no question Braves fans will be in a much, much, much better place mentally if they win this game. Can I interject on that? Again, this is the mindset. One of my best friends growing up, we went to the University of Georgia together. He texted me at the halftime of the second crushing Georgia-Alabama loss where a backup quarterback came in. And I led to a tug of Yes. And, and led, you know, Alabama to a win at halftime of that game with Georgia rolling, looking like they are about to beat Alabama. He didn't text and say, I'm hopeful. He didn't text and say, well, at least we got a shot. We had a good first half. He just said, well, this is just going to make the loss to Alabama today all the more painful because of how it's going. And he was right. He knew it. He knew it's like, nope, there is not joy in a Georgia sports fan's life. You know, this at the end of the day, heroic defeat is really the end of the, the story at the end of the day. By the way, for those Georgia fans, yes, the Braves did win a World Series. They did. And it also came on the day that Georgia hosted Florida for the like first time in forever because they always play in Jacksonville football. And Steve Spurrier put up over 50 on Georgia in Sanford Stadium that day. So even in the high point of Georgia sports fandom, for many of those fans, there was this other moment of pure pain that went along with it. Yeah, Georgia was up 13-0 at halftime in that national championship game and up 20-7 to midway through the third quarter. So it's understandable. I, I will say in terms of back to kind of on-the-field strategy, one of the more fun subplots I'm going to be looking forward to, Jock Peterson, first postseason game back in Dodger Stadium, not wearing a Dodgers uniform. He will be in the starting lineup, I would imagine, barring a surprise given a right-hander's on the mound. That's just going to be fun. You know, Jock was a fan favorite here in Los Angeles, had so many big moments in the postseason for them. He's already had some big postseason moments for the Braves as well. Again, Jocktober keeps striking over and over again. That's going to be one of the fun little subplots I'm going to be watching for, just seeing what he's able to do against his former team back in his old stomping grounds. It'll be fun. And is anyone having more fun with their at-bats this postseason than Jock? Like, I know he does have the oppo homer, so it's not like it's all pull, but I feel like if you if I say that Kyle Schwarber is looking for a pitch inner third to yank, Jock Peterson is like just every at bat there'll be one pitch that I can try to yank into the uh, the right field stance, and right now he's getting that pitch and he's doing. It. Yeah, 
again, this is someone who, whenever October comes around, he transforms into a different player. <laughs> His postseason career is at 279, 350, 545. Talk about postseason home runs. He has 12 home runs in 70 career postseason games. He and Kike Hernandez have been two of the most prolific postseason home run hitters, really, of the last couple of years. Two former Dodgers crushing in the postseason, and we'll see if they can continue. And if Jock can do it to his former team, I'm sure that'll make it a little bit sweeter. All right, JJ, as we get ready, again, it's going to be a great day. We've got both series in action. Dodgers and Braves kick us off at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Then we've got Red Sox and Astros at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Any final thoughts as we get ready here? Uh, My last final thought is is I just got to own this. I watched the playoffs – I, you know, every game, it, it all matters to me. I think that as someone at Baseball America, as editor-in-chief of Baseball America, part of understanding this is to, to, to see the totality of it, this is the pinnacle. So you watch playoff baseball both to enjoy it, but also to say this is the summation of everything that every player we see at every other level is aiming to reach. When you watch a showcase I was at 15U, USA Baseball 15U this year. Those players are hoping to be in this situation 10 years from now. So it's all the summation. That said, I'll just own it. Last night, I made it through six. It was 11 to three, I think it was at that point. I felt very comfortable that I could go to bed, rest up for today, knowing that I'd wake up in the morning and not hate the fact that I missed some amazing comeback or something. And, but I will tell you uh, the relief at 6:30 this morning, I woke up at 6:30 AM Eastern time, check my phone right away. What's the score? Oh, okay. I didn't miss anything. I am rested. I am refreshed and I am ready for today. I don't mind us occasionally having a stinker that gets us a chance to reset. I have, I've reloaded the bullpen. I'm ready to go for, uh, for today's doubleheader. I think of all the days to maybe check out a little early, I think it was okay. Like you said, 11-3 to three after the six innings. I don't think missing Martin Perez's one inning of relief is going to make or break our ability to analyze the postseason. But, yeah, it's going to be great. I will be out at Dodger Stadium covering game three of the NLCS. Uh, JJ and I will be back tomorrow to discuss everything that takes place. For J.J. Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. This has been another edition of the Baseball America Playoff Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For J.J., I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening. Enjoy playoff baseball today, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.